Welcome to the Virginia Beach Potter's House Sermon Podcast. We're doing something a little different this week. We'll be featuring sermons from the recent Bible conference held at the Door Church in San Antonio, Texas, pastored by Richard Ruby. We're sure these powerful messages will bless your life and help you live for God. And we'll return to our normal schedule next week. God bless. Thank you, musicians. Singers, amen. How many know they did a great job all week long, the music ministry, just tremendous favor and anointing. We again want to thank all of you for uh, being here in this conference, amen. It was a watershed moment uh, to be here in this atmosphere, and this building obviously was built with the conference in mind, and, uh, and so uh, you'll get to say you were here for the first one. And so we thank God for that, all of you, all the pastors who made an effort to be here all week, who made the effort to bring people, because it takes an effort to bring people. If you're not careful, your people will stop going to conferences. And so uh, we've had just a tremendous, tremendous time. We really do appreciate that. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians in chapter 4, and I want to minister uh, this evening uh, from this passage of Scripture. I read a book recently called Undaunted Courage. If you're a reader, uh, I highly recommend that you read that because it's the story of Lewis and Clark and their uh, adventure to travel across the length of the continent from uh, uh, Virginia, making it all the way to Oregon, the first Americans to traverse the entire uh, continent. And uh, this happened when Thomas Jefferson as president purchased, the Louisiana purchase, and uh, uh, no American had actually seen most of what was there. And so uh, Meriwether Lewis, his, was, his left Jefferson's disciple, his protege, young man, he's 30 years old, and he has given this charge to take this small group of men, right around 30 men, and uh, take them across uh, and the plan was to find a waterway that would go from the Missouri River all the way to the Pacific Ocean. Turned out it didn't exist. But it's a very, very powerful story. Meriwether Lewis, 30 years old. And this trip that this man took has been compared to uh, Captain James Cook and Christopher Columbus. This voyage of discovery. And it was 31 men, one female Native American and they crossed the Rocky Mountains and made it to the Pacific Ocean. While on this trip, Meriwether Lewis was a man who was trained in science. He was a botanist. He was a man that had been educated before he went on the trip. He went to Philadelphia where the most educated men in America were. He spent time with the medical doctors. He spent time with uh, botanists. He spent time with uh, various professionals so that uh, when he went, he was able to collect specimens. He took uh, astronomical measurements. He studied the various tribes that he encountered and gave very detailed accounts to their customs and their manners. He named rivers that had never been named. He named lakes that had never been named. He named mountains that had never been made. Two and a half years, these men traveled. They made it to Oregon. They finally made it back when they arrived by boat on the Mississippi into St. Louis. Everybody was out cheering for him. And the whole world was waiting to hear 
about the trip, all the details. Scientists in England were waiting. Everybody wanted to know. And the story is that nobody knew for almost 100 years. And that is for all the information and experience, all the things that this man had seen and written down meticulously, because of some things that happened, his diary and his notes were never published for almost 100 years. And he had all this incredible experience, but it failed to benefit anyone. Now, I read that, and when I came to the end of this book and I realized that, I didn't know that before, I began to think about something, church, and that is that you and I are stewards tonight. Here we are walking with God, ministering, but if we're not careful, we forget it. Everything that has been placed in our hands must be transmitted to another generation. That uh, it was great what this man did, but the reality was uh, that uh, the failure was not in what he was doing. The failure was his inability to pass it on. And I want to preach for a few minutes tonight on stewardship. The steward, um, 1 Corinthians uh, 4, verses 1 through 5. The Apostle Paul says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to life the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Father, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for these men of God. God, help us to be faithful stewards. And God, that we will pass on the heritage that has been given to us to another generation. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's begin and let's talk about stewardship tonight. And uh, let's jump right into it. The Apostle Paul, when he writes this letter to the Corinthians, uh, is rolling up his sleeves um, and he is dealing with practical matters. I thank God for 1 Corinthians uh, because uh, the Apostle Paul deals with the realities of church life as it really is. He talks about money. He talks about morals. He talks about marriage and divorce. He talks about backsliding. He goes into many real issues that every church faces. But one of them, and the one that I want to consider tonight, was because uh, uh, one of the things that happened was a personality cult had begun to be established within the early church. If you were to read chapter 3, remember there are no chapter breaks in in the Bible. Uh, In chapter 3 or earlier on in this letter, Paul says one of the problems is that people begin to identify with particular men of God. They said, I am of Paul. I am of Peter. I am of Apollos. Uh, And pretty soon people began to identify with a particular leader. And that's my guy. um, And schisms began to show up in the church. um, And our text is Paul's answer to the idea that, you know, I follow this man or I follow that man. Um, And it's found in our text in verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards uh, of the mysteries of God. In other words, uh, before you run off um, and you want to venerate a personality, he says, remember this, we are servants and we are stewards. 
that everything we are doing is simply administering uh, the riches of the kingdom of God. Uh, I want to tell you tonight, anointing, blessing, power uh, flow through us, uh, not from us. Amen. You and I are glorified Amazon delivery men, in other words. That you and I are simply instruments uh, of something that God is doing. Uh, Stewardship is God in us uh, and through us. By definition, it is the careful and responsible management uh, of something entrusted to one's care. God has empowered you and I so that we might be able to serve his purpose. And the mystery of God, beloved, is that he chooses to use men as stewards of his kingdom. Paul said, God has taken men and he has given us resources and said, I want you to be my steward. And that is a miracle because if you haven't figured it out, men are weak. Men are flawed and men are prone to failure. Somebody say amen. Amen. This is the reality of people uh, and what you and I are involved in uh, is that God knows us, beloved. He understands us. He remembers that we are dust. And yet uh, he has chosen to say, I'm going to move uh, through these men. I want to tell you uh, tonight, I want to say to the local church here in San Antonio, uh, I I am proud to be your pastor. uh, Amen. Uh, It is a great blessing. Uh, Every Wednesday for many, many years in our Bible conference, after I turn the uh, the service over to the guest pastor, I I make a walk around the the entire uh, building. Uh, I pass by the nurseries. I don't go in them. I can hear them. And I move on, uh, go up to, I went up to the children's church and I'm looking at them. Um, I come down, um, I, I, I see all the ushers and security that are around this building, uh, make my way outside. And there are these men that are outside in various places in the parking lot. Uh, and I want to tell you, uh, it makes your heart want to burst uh, with pride uh, because uh, the outstanding grace and blessing these people are servants. Uh, many of them have had very little sleep all week long and it has been their pleasure and their joy to serve you and that is a wonderful thing amen this song service was powerful but I want to tell you that was that was anointing I'll tell you what else it was it was a lot of practice a lot of evenings and time spent and effort put in uh, and all the details of the church, the audio, video and the things, uh, uh, all the things that we do. But the reason why I say that is people come here and they see them and say, wow, this is a pretty good church. Man, these people are powerful. And they begin to get this idea that here in San Antonio, the people, are, people here haven't sinned since Obama was president, you know, and, uh, you know, they don't have any problems and everybody's praying and fasting three days a week and, and all of that. Uh, and the people in San Antonio, you ought to be laughing right about now because I mean, oh, we're a bunch of imperfect people around here. We're a bunch of flawed individuals and the miracle, beloved, uh, is that stewardship is that God says, if I'm going to give you resources, just take care of them. Matthew 23, 29, Jesus said, you shall see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, The tragedy, beloved, is how many people tonight uh, uh, in this glorious conference didn't get a thing out of it uh, because you're so focused on human flaws. Because you're so focused on human failures uh, and because somebody let you down or somebody hurt your feelings or you followed a pastor and he fell. 
I remember years ago, I was having a, a, a revival with somebody and I had a man in our church. He wasn't from here, but he was in our church and we were going to have a man for revival. And he pulled me aside and he said, well, you know, I know some things about this man. And I've heard, and, 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 and you know, listen tonight, uh, yeah, listen, people are not perfect. Uh, you and I are stewards, uh, but if you're going to get help, it's going to be because God uses a man to help you. And if you're going to close your door to men, you might as well get in your car and go home. Because Jesus said, uh, you're not getting any help until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That there is a stewardship where God invests um, in men. Um, and the miracle of a church, beloved, is that God can take imperfect people um, and they can steward uh, the power of the kingdom of God. Stewardship is ministry in human agency. Genesis 41, 42, then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand put it on Joseph's hand and he clothed them in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. That doesn't mean he was a rapper. The Bible says that when he put that ring on his finger, uh, it was a powerful prophetic uh, picture uh, of the Lord Jesus uh, and how he places on you and I authority to conduct business uh, in his name. Everybody in Egypt, when they saw Joseph with that ring, uh, if you read on, uh, Joseph was given incredible power to conduct business in the name uh, of the king of Egypt, uh, and he did an extremely good job of that. Uh, I want to tell you the miracle of miracles uh, is Jesus says, in my name, you're going to cast out devils. I put a ring uh, on your finger and you have power. You are stewards. Remember, Joseph was a steward when he was at Potiphar's house. He was a steward. Even when they put him in prison, he was a trustee. He was a steward. He was a man of responsibility, even in prison. Um, and finally, as prime minister over Egypt, uh, Joseph understood uh, that somebody is putting power in my hands and my job is to steward uh, or be responsible uh, for that uh, 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 riches that have been put in my hands. Luke 16, 1, the Lord Jesus, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that the man was wasting his goods. Literally, the word wasting there means to set aside. In other words, uh, here was a man, he had been given a, a stewardship. That means it wasn't his, it had been given to him. Uh, but the Bible says he started taking some of it and setting it aside. Or in other words, he lost sight of his stewardship. The challenge this evening always has been when you're working with men and seeing God raise up men is can God bless a man with that man beginning to take that blessing and set it aside? You want to learn about a man, watch what happens when that man gets resources in his hands. Watch what happens when blessing begins to flow to him. When there's recognition or popularity or, or uh, exposure, it will reveal that man's heart. Um, God does not give us power for our personal aggrandizement. He does not give us resources uh, in order to collect or to start setting aside uh, for ourselves. Do you recall a couple of years ago when the COVID uh, uh, hit our nation um, and we watched some governors go crazy with power, drunk with power? 
They were so intense in some places that they were sending police into the backyards of people to count how many people were there. They were having the audacity to tell you uh, who you can invite to your Christmas dinner and eat pizza with Pastor Gordon. You know, who they, they wanted, uh, they, they're trying, and it's like, what was wrong? They were drunk with power, COVID and health, re, health restrictions had somehow given them a power and they went crazy with it. The Bible tells us that when God said to Solomon, what do you want this young man, what do you want? And Solomon said, oh God, I just want to be a blessing. I just want to have the wisdom to be able to lead your people. And the Bible says God was pleased with Solomon for what he did not ask for. The three things that Solomon did not ask for, the Bible says, or God says, why? Because these are the things that come out of a heart uh, when God keeps trying to bless a man, but they don't want to be stewards over the blessing. Remember the three things? The first thing he said is you want riches. We all want to be blessed financially. But can God trust you with large money without you setting it aside for yourself? All of a sudden, a little money, and all of a sudden, everything's changed. Your lifestyle changes. People notice that. There has to be this sense of responsibility there. And then he says, you didn't ask for riches. You know what else he said? He said, you didn't ask for revenge. You don't ask for the life of your enemies. You're not a vindictive person. You're not out to get people. When God gives you power, I want to tell you, pastor, your pulpit is not a place to assault people that you don't like. I remember many years ago, there was a guy that came through Tucson. You know, back in the early, early days uh, in Tucson and our early days of our fellowship, we had a lot of preachers who came through. It, it wasn't, it isn't like it is today. We didn't have like fellowship evangelists. We had crazy evangelists and these guys would come through. And one day uh, Pastor Warner said, we have a guest speaker from England. He's a prophet. And apparently somebody had told Pastor Warner about him. And this guy, I'll never forget. He came up, you know, and he had that, uh, you know, long hair and he had this trench coat like James Bond in his briefcase. Uh, and he kind it came up and the first 10 minutes of his uh, little uh, sermon was about uh, how uh, people that have ever doubted his words and the terrible things that happened to them uh, you know this guy said this cruel he he got uh, sick and this person right here challenged him and they had a car accident and so I'm a young convert so I'm paying a close attention <laughs> I don't buy into that doctrine you oppose me we're not wizards, we're preachers. <laughs> God said, you know what, Sol Solomon? You had, I'm trusting you with power, but you haven't asked for revenge. Amen. He said, you haven't asked for a long life. You're not worried about your legacy. You and I have been trusted tonight. We are stewards. God has put this in our hands and all we are are stewards. I want to talk to you then about trust. Somebody said it this way. He said, the challenge is not that we trust God, but can God trust us? Because the issue is that God places resources in our hands and it's a trust. Joseph, I'm putting this ring on your finger. There's going to be seven years of abundance like uh, no one has ever seen before. There's going to be incredible riches, uh, and I'm going to put them into your hands. You are going to have access uh, to wealth uh, that the world has never been seen before. I'm trusting you. 
Have you heard that term trustafarian? Translated, it means privileged kids who subscribe to the hippie lifestyle because they can't since they have no worries about a money or job. Trustafarian, these are people that inherited great wealth somewhere in their past. Somebody went to work. Somebody did something. And now you have this generation that just simply has been handed stuff, but they have no sense of responsibility or stewardship. Uh, they're just going to smoke weed uh, and uh, who knows what else. Let me tell you an interesting story. John D. Rockefeller, I, many of you are, uh, are familiar with him. I know this church. I've mentioned him many times. John D. Rockefeller is the young man that got radically saved about the age of 12 or 13 in a little pioneer church. And uh, by the time he was 40, he controlled 80% of the world's oil. He was the richest man the world had ever seen, but he was saved and he gave hundreds of millions of dollars. If you were to take the money he gave in, a, in, in a modern terms, we'd be talking probably over $100 billion. He changed America. He changed America and powerfully supported churches. The story goes that uh, when he would travel across America and his train would stop in a small town, he would get out and find a, a local black church, walk in there and put in an offering that would pay every bill for that church for years. Extremely liberal. He has four kids. He actually had a, a five, four daughters and a son. One daughter died early in life. And so he had three daughters. And then the youngest one was a son, John D. Jr., and, and the problem is these daughters, you know, they had their issues, but they, they had their issues. And so here's this man, he's getting older. He's, he knows he can't live forever. And he has the, the greatest fortune in the world. And he has a burden for how he wants that money to be spent. His son is a very responsible young man. He's a Christian man. And he decides that I'm going to give my son my wealth, I'll give my daughters a little bit of something, but I'm giving everything to him. Uh, with son, you're going to carry my, and everything, that, so that's what he was going to do. But, and every young single man need to listen to me right now, he began to court a party girl. Hey, did you hear that? Mmm. You know, just kind of a girl that was a kind of a, a, a nominally Christian, you know, and uh, and uh, began to party with this girl, or began to court this girl. And, and the telltale sign is she was a daughter of a senator. When they were going to get married, the little girl wanted liquor. Uh, the family wanted liquor at the wedding, and the Rockefellers didn't. Um, and so when they had the wedding, Mrs. Rockefeller felt sick, and she didn't go to the wedding because I'm not going to go. You got to understand, John D. And, and his wife, when they were young, used to go into saloons and street preach. They didn't mess around. Her family was, used to be part of the, uh, of the uh, uh, Underground Railroad, moving slaves to Canada. And now her son, he's a good young man, but he's got this little party girl. And that little party girl, once they got married, turned his heart. And when that fortune fell to him, that money that was meant to propagate the gospel, let me tell you what happened to it. John D. Rockefeller Jr. built a church that is still considered one of the most famous churches in New York City. It's called Riverside Church. He reached out to a man named Henry Emerson Fosdick and said, I want you to become the pastor here. That's how rich these people were and said that he got involved in what they called the social gospel, social justice, and that uh, rather than the soul-saving gospel message, it began to be the good works gospel message. 
And so I was putting that together. And so what I did is I went to the Riverside uh, Church website. And this is what it says on their website. I think you have that. This is our website. This member, this church was started and funded by an on-fire Christian man who gave money to his son to steward over and he got involved with a party girl. And this is what it says. It says, we are an interdenominational, interracial, international, open, welcoming, and affirming church and congregation. Whoever you are, you are safe here. You are loved here. You are invited into full participation in our life together. We welcome, affirm, and celebrate all God's children, LGBTQIA+. I'm not quite sure what some of those are, are stand for. <laughs> we actively work to become an anti-racist congregation. Join us for worship on site or online every Sunday morning at 1045. From the wealth of a man who changed America through giving. And all it took was one generation. All that one generation, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2, it is required in stewards. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. That one be found faithful. What have we been entrusted with tonight? I want to give you three things. I don't want to preach a long time. Number one, we have been entrusted with revelation. We have the Bible here tonight. God has placed this Bible in our hands for this time. One day we're going to kick off or get raptured. And that's going to fall to another generation. But right now we are the generation God has given us his word. And I'm preaching to a full room of preachers tonight. You and I have been given the word of God. Uh, our scripture says we are stewards over the mysteries of God. And so what the apostle Paul says, listen, we have truth and revelation that has been hidden or is obscured from man. Most people don't really know what the Bible has to say. They need somebody who understands it and takes advantage of the revelation that God has given them. And they are going to give that to other people. This is critical. The ancient scribes, there were entire family generations of scribes. And their entire job 
from the moment they're born, they understood their destiny was simply to take uh, the Holy Scriptures uh, and to uh, put them uh, on some sort of manuscript uh, or perhaps chisel them into stone. uh, And when they were done, they were going to do it again. They would spend their entire life uh, taking uh, the Scriptures uh, of God's words and putting them in scrolls uh, because all they understood is we are charged uh, with making sure that the Bible gets to another generation. We thank God for those people. Pastor Stevens was telling me when they begin to go up into the mountains of Mexico through the, uh, the, the, the breakthrough that they had there and they were beginning to reach uh, indigenous peoples up there that don't even speak Spanish. They speak uh, rare native languages. And Pastor Stevens told me that when they began to make their way up to the mountain, uh, he said there were these people there. Some of them were American, some were European, uh, and they live up there in those mountains uh, in very, very uh, uh, limited, uh, 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 you know, little camps. uh, And they are trying to translate the Bible into the language uh, of these Indian tribes. This is their ministry. They're spending their life. Nobody knows their name. Nobody knows anything about them. Uh, They live in squalor, uh, but they have the spirit of these scribes. And if you talk to them, their belief is we are stewards uh, over the mysteries of God. That we have the word of God uh, and we have to faithfully pass that on. Preacher, don't get bored with the Bible. Don't get to a point where you're not inspired, where you're preaching last year's sermon where you're just telling more stories about yourself. You have to be a steward of the mysteries of God. That means that you have to fall in love uh, with this Bible. Uh, it has to be your own. I told the men in Sunday in this afternoon or Wednesday afternoon, teach your own Sunday schools, learn doctrine. The Bible mentions those who labor in the word and doctrine. You know, I, I appreciate what Pastor Gordon said, you know, that I'm not a construction guy. I, 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 you know, I kind of hesitate. I don't know if I believe that. I've got three different size butter knives in my toolbox. <laughs> but the problem is we think, oh, the studying the Bible, that's easy. I can spend all day messing around, go home, and in 30 minutes put together a good sermon. The Bible says you labor in word and doctrine. You hear Pastor Warner preach uh, uh, Wednesday night. There's some labor in that stuff. Pastor Greg Mitchell, powerful preaching, and he takes deep truths and he breaks them down in simple fashion. That's, oh, that's just a gift. No, that's hard work, man. And if you do not work at this, those mysteries will be, may, re, remain a mystery to the people in your church. Our responsibility is that God has put this in our hands. And the the calling of every pastor is to be able to take this revelation and begin to minister that to people. We've been entrusted with revelation. Secondly, we've been entrusted with vision. I didn't start this. Here we are on Friday night, this glorious Friday night Bible conference and all that, the dynamics that are here and everything. I didn't start this. I'm just trying to pass on what I learned. I got saved a couple of weeks before a Bible conference in Tucson. I got filled with the Holy Ghost uh, at a conference. Uh, a few weeks after I got saved, uh, I went to my first Prescott conference. And listen, all we've ever tried to do is just repeat it. I don't ch- change it, don't switch it, don't alter it. 
I just simply want to pass it on. Um, Moses goes up to the mountain and God gives him a pattern uh, and says, this is how I want you to build it. Um, Our job is to build it. Um, The apostle Paul would later on tell the Philippian church, you have me as a pattern. He says to them, listen, uh, you don't have to wonder what to do. Pay attention and you'll know exactly what to do. You will simply repeat uh, what we're doing. I fear, beloved, walking into a fellowship church. um, I fear walking to one of our churches, one of our granddaughter churches, and saying, what on earth is this? Who taught you that? You know, people come to me and they say, you mean in San Antonio, you don't do that? Where did that come from? Our job is to reproduce the spiritual heritage that's been given to us. That's simple. I'm not interested in what's popular on YouTube. I'd say, well, pastor, don't you know if you wear hiking boots and grow a beard and look like, uh, you know, Uncle Ben or something like that, that, you know, and get a flannel shirt, you know, and that's what everybody's doing. That's not what we're doing. I got some grandsons now. I got three grandsons. And uh, my grandson Hamilton's a pretty sharp young man. He's four years old. And the other day he saw a picture of me when I was three years old, a picture you will never see. And, um, <laughs> but he saw a picture of me at three years old and he said, hey, that's Hudson, which is my three-year-old grandson. Hallelujah. I'm glad that my grandson looks like me. I'm also glad when our granddaughter churches look like ours. In other words, this is the vision. This is how we're doing it. We're not changing. I'm not altering it. We're not modifying it. We're not updating it. We're not improving it. This isn't Fellowship 2.0. We're stewards. We have just been entrusted. Thirdly, we're entrusted with men. I want to go on record and say God has permitted me to disciple men who are better than me. That I see men, their abilities, their gifting, and their anointing. And God does not say, well, you know, I'm putting there because you're better than them. They're not, I'm not better than them. I see faith in these men that's larger than mine. I see commitment in them. I see sacrifice in them. I see humility in them. Preaching ability. That surpasses me. Therefore, it is an incredible responsibility when God puts them into your hands to work with. That you have been entrusted with these men. They're not there to be your servants. They're not there. Discipleship is not having them wash your car, mow your lawn, or paint your house. It is a wonderful trust that God says, I'm going to give you these men. They're raw. These men need direction. A lot of them are fatherless. But it's a trust. It doesn't end here. It doesn't end that they just got saved here. Let me tell you a good, a great story I've shared here years ago. My friend, Jesus Alaya, Jesus pastors in Mexico City. We've been friends for many, many years. We were saved just within a couple of weeks of each other. Jesus worked for Parks and Rec in Tucson, Arizona. And 
Back in those days, the Cleveland Indians used to do their spring training in Tucson. Every spring they would come, and Asus was assigned to the Cleveland Indians to just do work the grounds and just work with them, part of the city of Tucson. And so that allowed him to befriend some of the players and coaches. And one time he said that there was a coach that he had befriended. This guy was a minor league coach. If you're not sure, you know, I know about only eight of you know anything about baseball here, but... Um, if you know they in baseball it's not like you know college football basketball you're you're raised up through what they call the farm league you'll have the instructional league the c league b league a double a triple a finally the majors and so all of these players would be there playing at different levels and there was a coach he was a friend of asus's and his job was i think maybe double a or triple a he was the coach he was a very good coach he befriends him a year later, spring comes, everybody comes back, Asus is there again, he's looking for him, and he can't find him. He's, he begins to ask, what, what happened to so-and-so? And they said, he got fired. And then he got fired. He said, how come? And Asus said, I heard that his team won like the, the championship in their conference in the double A. And they said, yeah, but the management fired him, not because they, he won games, but he wasn't producing men for the majors. See, in the mind of the Cleveland Indians, we don't really care if your double-A team wins. Are you producing men that can play in the major leagues? You know, we come to conference once a year here to plant churches. That means that a pastor in his calendar ought to say, you know what I need to do? I need to get somebody ready by October. And my job is to produce men. That's our trust. When God says, I'm going to entrust you with a future Moses or a future David, a future Harold Warner, a future Pastor Mitchell, he's not going to look like that. But something in us has to understand that is our responsibility. Disciples isn't because you tell them what to do. In fact, a guy who does that probably won't succeed. Something has to be imparted in them that makes those men want to stay in the field. I was reading about the NFL draft 1983. They call it the greatest quarterback draft in history. In that draft, John Elway and um, uh, Jim Kelly and um, uh, a few other guys. But they didn't call it that back in 1983. Back in 1983, they were just new quarterbacks. The only way you could tell us the success was 20 years later by what they accomplished. The men in our church are a resource put there by God for us to steward and do everything in our ability to help them realize their destiny. They're not meant just to sit in our church year after year after year. We're stewards. Let me close. I'm going to talk to you about the appointment tonight. Because there's going to come an accounting. When you have a steward, you bring him in and you say, how are things going? And the last thing you want him to say is, mas or menos. <laughs> Give an account of your stewardship for you may no longer be steward. In other words, 
we're going to answer for this. We will answer for this. All the labor, all the effort. Naboth never forgot when his father gave him that land. Son, one day you're going to die and you better have that land to be able to pass on to your son. There is going to come an accounting. You and I have to be careful. I just want to say this before we close. Judge nothing before it's time. The apostle Paul says in our text, uh, verse 5, judge nothing before the time. See, the thing about a steward is you and I have to be careful. Because the evaluation ultimately is coming at the end. There's going to come what we are going to answer. And I'm speaking to preachers for a moment about what's been entrusted to us. There are men here, you've been given a church that you didn't build. It's what's been entrusted to you. You and I will answer for that. But the apostle says, you and I need to be careful. You know, uh, a few weeks uh, back in uh, August and September, I got kind of busy and I had to fulfill some overseas trips. And so I was flying around the world and preaching in conferences and stuff. And I had... I think two, maybe three occasions in this couple of weeks, some men come up to me and say basically the same thing in Europe and in Asia and even Australia. And, uh, and it kind of bugged me. You know what they said to me? They said, Pastor Ruby, I just want to thank you because you have stayed faithful all these years. You know, some other men have departed, but you've really been faithful. And I just appreciate that. Now, they meant well, but I'm like, hey, how, how old do you think I am? You know? You save that for Joe Campbell or Pastor Warner, you know, talking to me like, you know, how do you think I am, you know? What I'm really saying is the verdict's not in. Don't judge this before it's time. That you and I have to understand Timing, verse 5, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring the light, the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts and each one's will praise will come from God. Two truths here as I finish this sermon. Number one, let's not call ourselves a success until it's over. You got that picture I asked you to put up there? That picture, you got that picture right there? Let's not do that. Let's not celebrate, you know, what a great, you know, I'm going to tell you how I became a man of God and what God showed me. I'm not ready for that sermon yet. Don't judge things too fast, man. Life's long. We have no idea. We haven't arrived at all, church. And the danger is that we will make this assessment right now and we will celebrate too soon. And of course, the second danger, you can take that down, is that we give up too soon. Is that we think, Pastor Ruby, you know what? I've been a bad steward. It's over for me. I haven't done everything I could have done. I have forgot that this is all a stewardship. That's all I am is a steward here. And next thing you know, you begin to be discouraged and you begin to feel like just quitting. So I want to leave you with this. When Meriwether Lewis returned from this trip, he had this diary. He had all this information and data that would change the world. But what happened is when he came back, he was such a hero and such a success. 
They kept saying, are you ready? He goes, I'm not ready yet. I got I to gotta write it. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write it. But everybody hailed him. Everybody did things. And in that season of popularity and everything, businessmen got a hold of him and began to say, you know what? Let's get in business together. They knew if they attached his name to their business, investors would want to get involved in projects that are going out there. And he needed a little money. money. And so he entered into these contracts. Um, all of that was done when everything was going great great. Everybody, everything was great. But what happened was, um, as life is, uh, his popularity began to ebb. And then pretty soon uh, they began to find out that he had made these business dealings. And the next, you know, people were accusing him of stealing government money, of trading on his name. And, and, and for the first time, he started facing criticism. Everything got turned around. Jefferson was no longer president. And the people that were totally supported him are no longer there now new people have come into power now they're asking for this and that and how you spent the money and what did you do here and explain yourself and produce the documents started to haunt him and that there are other factors involved but finally one night distraught he killed himself meriwether lewis this young man who at the age of 30 went on one of the greatest adventures in history. At 32, killed himself because he thought, I've blown it. I've totally blown it. And the reason why that information didn't come out for 100 years is because he, he died and they had to get it and translate it and figure it out. All because he came to a point where he thought, you know what, I, I'm a poor steward. No, it's interesting today because most people don't know that. Today, history will tell us that he indeed was one of the greatest explorers there ever was. And they study what he did and how that young man went and led that group of 30. One day I'll pass on other story, incredible stories in his journey. I was in Oregon and I up recently a couple weeks ago and I, I, I um, asked the guys there. So I know Meriwether Lewis, uh, Lewis and Clark were here. Where were they? And the guy goes, actually... You know, the airport we just came from, that's where they camped, right there at the airport. And I'm like, man, you should have just flown to Portland instead of take that journey, two and a half year journey. And, um, but I began to, you know, and you look and, and everywhere it is, as you travel along that entire route, there are signs that the Meriwether Lewis was here. They camped here. And, and the reality was this man changed the world, but he quit before he realized he changed the world. For every man who is spiking the football too soon, there's probably 10 others who feel like I'm a failure. Paul said, don't judge me too soon. God's not done with you. Let's bow our heads. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.